Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With so much focus on agricultural emissions at COP26 and ahead of the Chagas National Dairy Conference, which also addresses this issue, Head of Dairy KT, Joe Patton, joins us to consider whether economic and environmental KPIs are compatible for Irish dairy farms. The big one that we've we've talked about quite a bit in the past, and it continues to be, um, it's really a perennial driver of uh, economic efficiency, is is grass utilised per hectare, essentially. So when we talk about grass utilised per hectare, that really is a measure that encompasses stock and rates, grass growth, purchase feed, and also uh, milk solids output uh, per cow. So essentially what grass utilised does is it, it measures how much um, milk sales we're getting from our own grazing resources, essentially. So um, it would make sense then, obviously, that if we can produce more of our total milk output from our own grazing resources or from our own grass resources, that links very strongly to profitability. It explains something between sort of 55 to 60% of the variation in, in profits um, per hectare on farms. And it would be a much stronger, um, it would be a much stronger predictor of profit than uh, individual milk yield, for example, or even milk, sol- milk solids yield would be would be a reasonable indicator of profitability. But certainly, grass utilised tends to tie the whole thing uh, in together into into a single into a single measure. So, it has been a central message from from ourselves through research and advisory for a number of years. And there are many moving parts to grass utilised, but certainly it would be the one we would be we'd be suggesting that people would give the most uh, focus to. You know. And let's put some figures on that, Joe. You know, when you talk about, um, you know, milk solids, stocking rate and and their link to grass growth and in turn utilisation, you know, we see that the Chagas roadmap set out, um, you know, strong targets as to what farmers should achieve. But like, let's 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 bring it down to a, a farm level now. What are you looking at in terms of a milking platform stocking rate and how is that informed by grass growth? Yeah. It's a, it's a very good question and it's one that it comes up quite a bit actually and I think um stock and rate really in and of itself M. Louise can be quite a can be quite a dangerous measure in a way in that if we just look at stock and rate in isolation without reference to grass growth we can end up in situations where where costs can can spiral out of control so uh the way we would look at that really to keep things quite simple is we would Sort of look at the feed budget, the annual feed budget from a forage point of view from a cow would generally be um, something in the region of five and a half tons or 5.5 tons dry matter uh, per cow per year. Okay, so taking that forward, if we want, to, I suppose from from a sustainability and a profitability point of view, we we would like to see that the that the farm can can meet its own forage resources, so or meet its own forage demand from from within the farm gate. So that would mean that. At five and a half tons uh, of dry matter per cow requirements, if the grass growth is 11 tons for simplicity, our optimal stocking rate on that farm would be two cows uh, per hectare. More, more, more typically, maybe of some of the better commercial farms in the like, if looking at pasture-based data, for example, where maybe annual growth rates are up at 14 tons or there thereabouts, that translates into about a stocking rate of something around 2.4 uh, cows per hectare on a whole farm basis. Now. Obviously, there are plenty of farms. Um, most farms are, are probably have some degree of fragmentation uh, involved. So, in that situation, we still want to retain a whole farm stocking rate of in at that level of grass growth. We'd still want to retain a whole uh, farm stocking rate of around two point four. 
which probably uh, would mean something like a, a, maybe a grazing platform stock rate of just in and around three cows per hectare with some support blocks bringing the overall stocking rate uh, back down. So that's the that's the key that's the key measure. And I know some people will be talking about stocking rates of 2.7, 2.8, 2 uh, per hectare. But in that situation, you would need to be growing over 15 tonnes of dry matter per hectare, which a very, very small percentage of farms are doing. Uh, but I think a more realistic stocking rate is probably, based on what we see, is probably more in and around the 2.4, 2.45 would be roughly where you'd be talking about. And taking that uh, cow that you're talking about that's been allocated 5.5 tonnes of, of forage, um, I, I know you, you acknowledge that the link is poor in terms of milk solids yield and profitability, but what sort of a milk solids yield should farmers be targeting from that type of diet? Yeah, well, that's, that's a good question. I suppose I should clarify that you know, when we talk about the link between milk production and, and profitability, what we tend, what we see over the years is that the milk volume, as in litres per cow, would be generally poorly correlated with profit. Uh, it explains maybe 8 to 10% of the difference between farms. Milk solids will explain more like 15 to 20% of the difference between farms. Obviously, we're getting paid on solids, and that's why that's why that difference would exist. But like really, the, the, the solids per, we would like to see, I suppose, the solids cows producing you know, over certainly 85% plus of their body weight in, in milk solids for the year. So generally speaking, a good simple target would be you would like to see farms in the sort of 470 to 480 kilo, um, 470, 480 kilo uh, mark at least really. So if you take where national average would be um, based on co-op performance reports and co-op data, it's more like the 420, 425 mark, which is an improvement over the last number of years. But we, I think you could certainly say that 470, 480 would be where, you know, there's a, there's a good level of profitability to be had there. Now, I will say also that there, there are lots of herds out there that might be going slightly stronger than that again, you know, over the 500 kilos of milk solids. And that can be positive uh, as long as that is driven by on, on the back of good cost control as well. So I think, you know, it's it's dangerous thing to say that in, that we should just push for additional output uh, irrespective of how that output's arrived at. But certainly, 480 kilos of milk solids driven on a sensible amount of concentrate and a good level of fertility in the herd is, is seems to be a fairly, uh, that's like a sweet spot really for what, what can be delivered in terms of profitability. That's where we, we would sort of see that we'd like to see sort of an industry average going somewhere around that level. And turning our attention then to the environment, Joe, what are the key environmental measures or KPIs as you see them? Yeah, well, look. The, the, obviously, um, we have plenty of. There, there's, it's, it's the, it's the big story at the moment, and everybody, everybody um, seems to be talking about this inside the industry and outside of it. So, I suppose, really, where, where do we start from, from a dairy, from a dairy farmer's point of view? What are, the, can we say? There are a couple of things we need to be looking at, and I, I suppose, really, if we want to keep things fairly simple and fairly manageable in terms of what we can do at farm level, Emma Louise, I think the two big ones we can look at really is the carbon. The carbon output per kilo of milk um, would be certainly one in terms of our carbon efficiency for for a given level of of um, for a given level of stock on the farm would be one. So how much carbon is produced per kilo of milk produced would be a good would be a good measure. So um, you know obviously there's farm to farm variation there as well, um, but we would be targeting sort of 0.9 and under maybe for for something like that. Certainly as a reasonable target. Um, some farms might be up at 1.1. Uh, there's a lot of better farms um, 
sort of farms that are quite carbon efficient could be pushing that down to sort of 0.85 and below. There's a there's a range there, and um, there's a range there obviously too. But the carbon footprint uh, per kilo of milk produced would certainly be an important one uh, for people to be looking at. Obviously, the other one too, I think, is the um, is the end use efficiency. So the nitrogen use efficiency on the farm is another important, you know, another very important measure, which really measures the the proportion of nitrogen that's brought into the into the into the unit that is actually uh, that is utilised for for saleable product. So, uh, as an average figure, um, most. Yeah, as an average figure, the nitrogen use deficiency is something in the region of maybe 24, 25% on commercial farms. Uh, that could, with good technology and good, good um, implementation of good, of, of best practice, really, that can be pushed up towards maybe 35%, which mightn't sound like a lot, but that's a huge difference, really, in terms of in terms of capture of nitrogen on the farm. So. So I suppose, Emily, it is important with all with all the with all the change with all of the discussion and debate happening at a high level at the moment uh, in terms of um, national and global targets for dairy farmers. I think if we could focus on the nitrogen use efficiency, as I said, and uh, the carbon output per kilo of milk, those are two good measures that people could get get stuck into really in terms of making improvements. I would say. And Joe, looking to that twenty four or twenty five percent of. Uh, nitrogen or nutrient use efficiency on dairy farms getting to that 35% what is the low hanging f- f- uh, fruit that farmers can target there well that's yeah I, I, there's um, a couple of simple measures I suppose the um, one of the simple ones really as a starting point um, Louise uh, is the crude protein content in, in rations particularly in grazing rations actually that that's as simple as changing the changing the, the type of concentrate that's ordered. So certainly uh, there's some very good work done uh, in Moorpark and elsewhere to show that uh, grazing pro- concentrate content, uh, sorry, c- the protein content of concentrates in the summer period on grass can be dropped down, you know, to sort of 13, 14% and lower uh, for no change in production. So certainly um, a lot of the additional protein above that level coming in and concentrate uh, may end up being excreted actually. So uh, that's that's a very very simple one I suppose to, to start with. Uh, implementation of low emission slurry spreading would be another one because you can certainly capture more of the nitrogen um, the nitrogen fraction in slurry by using low emission slurry spreading would be would be a big one there. Um, and obviously as well the big one the biggest one possibly is 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 uh, incorporation of clover uh, into swords where. We can reduce our chemical nitrogen input uh, and maintain um, and, and certainly maintain um, total dry matter production. Now, nobody's saying that the, clo- the implementation of clover is simple. It's a it's a long term uh, process and a long term project, but it does have very good potential to, to make a difference on nitrogen use efficiency. But I would say that the immediate steps that can be taken is certainly low emission and the, the crude protein and concentrate. They're immediate gains. The clover is the big one, but that will happen. You know that certainly will happen over time for sure if people can get um, people can get get moving on that one. And, and a concern I hear from farmers in relation to environmental measures is the new nitrates definition uh, for farms based on milk yield. Um, is this going to impose severe limits on how farmers produce milk going forward, Joe? I suppose we have to look at that on a, on a farm by farm uh, basis, Emily. So I suppose that, but. Uh, what you're referring to there really is a change that higher yield in herds, in, in volume terms of higher yield in herds, they would have a, an increased uh, organic end load per, per cow, so up from up to 106 kilos, uh, depending on on your on your on your milk production. And certainly, 
you know that that does change and does require a, a look or an adjustment at at, at stock at stocking rate. But still, um, I think it's important to to look at what where that leaves where that leaves stocking rate or the potential stocking rate. It's still in for those herds at the higher level. It would still be in that sort of two point three five to two point four um. Uh, bracket, which is really coming close to where the economic optimal that we would say is anyway for farms, for most commercial farms. And actually, it's something that we've had a look at uh, recently in terms of, you know, for a couple of discussion groups in terms of the number of farms at that level and the and the grass growth that they're that they're achieving uh, and the, the level of milk production. Um, the, the proportion of herds, while I accept some some herds will have some adjustments to make, the proportion of herds is relatively is, is is relatively small. That's not to say that it's not an issue for certain herds, and we fully we fully accept that. But I think when we look at where where the um, where the changes would bring you, it it really is a question of it, it's bringing people close to where the optimal stocking rate would be anyway. So I do while I do think there are. You know there are certain farms that have to make the calculations and make the adjustments, and certainly our advisors are available to to help look at the options around that. I do still think that when you look at where the overall stocking rate can go to on those farms, you can still have an, a very acceptable level of stocking rate and still a high output per hectare uh, based on on those new bandings. And just to be clear on it too, and it is an important point to make that. The reason that the bandings would look different or the reason the bandings would change is really to reflect the, the, the simple fact that higher production animals will have a higher nitrogen excretion rate uh, they will have uh, in all things being equal. So that's why the differences are there. And those differences and that, that system is, you know, it's embedded and in place in, in many European countries, I suppose. Ireland are are, are updating their system or, or the proposal is to update the system to be more in line with that. Um, so I think that there, there's good science behind the reason for changing, uh, for changing that. But as I say, there's still... You know, for farms that are operating at the higher level of of milk production, there there are still um, still very good scope for for to carry commercial type stocking rates and still have a high profit per hectare, even though there's adjustments needed on the on the banding. I would say. So, if we consider the environmental and economic um, measures that you have highlighted, Joe, are they compatible and and can they marry together um, within dairy production systems and dairy farms in harmony? But that is the that is a that is the key question. What what can be what can be achieved through um, existing and maybe emerging technology, M. Louise, and how does that relate to um, how does it relate to, to profitability? So if we take the if we take the nitrogen measures, for example, first and, t- and take those as a first step, um, reduction in crude protein and concentrate, for example, is an efficiency measure. It can it can have a it can have a beneficial effect in terms of the cost of, of um, concentrates over the summer period, for example, low emission slurry spread. And if we can capture more of our own, uh, if we can capture more of, our, of the nitrogen within slurry, that's a benefit as well. Increased grazing days is a benefit uh, and maybe reduction of chemical nitrogen input uh, on the back of improved clover um, content. So that you can see there's a compatibility there between making better use of nitrogen, for example, uh, and, uh, and, e- and the economic margins to begin. So I think there are a lot of win-wins there that we can, we can focus on and that you know, farmers shouldn't be afraid to say that, there are, that the steps they're taking can be beneficial to themselves while having benefits to, um, for environmental measures as well. On the carbon side of things, you know, possibly a little, a little more, um, a little more challenging, given the fact that 
um, enteric fermentation or, or meat tin production essentially um, from the cow is, is a big portion of that budget. That that does create um, that does create its own issues. That certainly we we work, there's a lot of work going on in Chagas at the moment to to look at the basement on that side. But if you take things for example uh, from the methane side or from the greenhouse gases side of things, so for example. Um, simple things like, for, for example, age at first calving, uh, for instance. So at the moment, there's about 70% of our, our heifers calve at two-year-old. That still leaves, you know, that still leaves a couple of hundred thousand heifers calving at an older age. If we could reduce the age at first calving uh, down to two-year-old as a standard, um, that would have a beneficial effect on the national um, uh, CO2 output uh, and will also be benef- benefit farmers as well. And a similar effect would happen on the di- on the beef side, actually, that age at slaughter has real capacity uh, to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions and improve profitability uh, at the same time. Now, uh, obviously, one of the major issues or one of the major technologies that's, that's, that's promoted for, to reduce carbon um, to, to reduce the carbon load would be uh, protected urea or reduce chemical fertilizer, but particularly protected urea. You know th- that has been shown to, to produce the same level of, of grass production as as the alternatives. Um, so the, the, you know, and per unit of, obviously per unit of, of nitrogen, it's it's competitive uh, relative to can. So there's there, there's benefits to be had there as well. So there there's a few technologies like that that are certainly. Um, that are certainly looking beneficial. I suppose. Look, as people will ask a lot, and it's certainly something that's that that gets a lot of attention and will get more attention is the question around you know the abatement at, at the level of the rumen, for example, and and at feed additives and, and and those type of issues. So th- those are work in progress. I would say there's there's plenty of proof of concept stuff done. There's plenty of stuff done that will work in 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 sort of TMR indoor situations. And the, the work is ongoing to translate those into to work for pasture. And that's certainly, that's a big part of it. But for the moment, if we look at, you know, improving the efficiency of, um, improving the efficiency of age at first calving, age, age at slaughter, use of different types of nitrogen, those all things are, are beneficial from an economic and an environmental point of view as well. And I think there's, there's some positive stories to be had for, for, for dairy farmers around those things. And a lot of the technologies you have mentioned, Joe, are, are things that we've heard of before and they are proven technologies that farmers mm. can implement. And I think that, you know, by implementing these practices on your farm are really positive and it is reflected in uh, measures like what you talk about, Joe, the, the CO2 emissions per kilo of milk uh, produced. And I think been a really interesting conversation because while farmers take massive pride in their work and the production of high quality nutritious food products you know external to agriculture they are um you know v- very much the the seen problem with climate change um and they're you know consistently hammered um you know it's it's it, it's not easy being farmers and and they are getting to speed with these technologies yeah and I, look and i do think i do think that you know it's a fair it's a fair comment Emily, Louise, that you know, and, and possibly, you know, the, the the issue in terms of, um, I think one of the issues for at farm level is really that I think one thing we can do better, I would say, as an industry overall, as, as individual farmers is the whole the whole question of measurement, you know, measurement of, of inputs and measurement of outputs and maybe some... And that's for that's for that's for an economic benefit as well as from an environmental one. So I think you know you, you look for example at um, at milk recording as an for as an example. Like milk recording has very has 
great potential benefits in terms of identifying, you know, sub suboptimal animals in terms of production and suboptimal animals in terms of health. So I think, you know, even something as simple as weighing of young stock that can improve the age of first calving, a, a better manage better measurement and management of pasture, because you know it, it is it's important to realise too, and some good work coming through Moor Park is showing this that higher digestibility swords can reduce the, the level of of CO, of methane output uh, per kilo eaten as well. So think about that, that, you know, measuring and ensuring that, uh, that animals are eating high quality swords more often in the year through better measurement can lead to a reduction in, in greenhouse gases. So it is important to say that, you know, there's no, that, 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 that there are a lot of marginal gains. And I, I would fully take the point that we're after talking about an awful lot of things there that might seem like small, small gains and small benefits. But in in the in the round, if we accumulate those benefits over, you know, numbers of farms and numbers of years, we can start to have them, we can start to have beneficial effects. And that's the real thing, I think, that if we can get people measuring uh, and, and getting an idea of where they stand on these things and understanding the scale of the of, of what can be changed, um, I think there's good, there's good benefits to be had because, you know, I think for, for farmers need to look at it that way, that there are some of this stuff's in their own control in terms of the the, the 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 efficiencies and the footprint, I suppose, is to some extent under their own management control. And I think we're there to help people try to to, to make improvements on that. And Joe, uh, we expect to hear more from you on this at the Chagas National Dairy Conference on Tuesday, the 23rd of November at Rochestown Park in Cork and Wednesday, the 24th of November at Hudson Bay in Athlone. Can you tell us more of what we can expect on those days? So the, the conference, I suppose the theme of the conference, uh, Louise, is meeting challenges with technology. So that's our idea here around this is really to try to to have to have a conversation um, between all all actors within the within the industry around, you know, what, what are the technologies that can make a difference economically and environmentally, you know, to, to try and get that synergy, uh, get that synergy going. So some of the big thing, big ticket items really that we want to tackle uh, at that is really Obviously, the breeding pro, the national breeding program EBI has delivered a lot uh, over the last number of years in terms of improved efficiency. We really want to ask the question of, you know, where next and how does that, how, you know, what role does breeding play in terms of, you know, how much more can we get out of breeding in terms of economic and environmental efficiency? You know, what role will sex semen play, for example, in the national in the national breeding program over the next number of years? So that's a, there are some some key issues to be to be dealt with there. Obviously, another big issue and another big technical uh, challenge is around uh, the reduction of chemical nitrogen input, both from an both from a, 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 a nitrate and also um, and also a greenhouse gases point of view. So, it, it's one thing talking about it, I suppose. It's another thing trying to get the implementation on the ground in terms of skills around grazing management and the incorporation of clover. So, we do have a couple of very good dairy farmers describing their experience with clover. Some of the Highs and lows, I suppose, of trying to get clover established and managed, uh, and we've some good, da- some good new data around, you know, grazing management practices. There's some good stuff coming out of, of pasture base that tells us what's kind of happening on farms and where the where the pinch points are maybe in terms of grazing management. So, really, the Brit- national breeding program is one, and the direction of that one, uh, sort of grazing skills, grazing management, and its relationship to clover would be another major major area that we need to we need to focus on. Those would be two major sessions at the at the conference. We also have, I suppose, that we also have uh, as, a, as a keynote, we have our, our new director of Chagas, Frank O'Mara, to to really set out, you know, a pathway for dairy for the dairy industry, really in terms of meeting climate obligations. So that's really our 
our, our, our sort of keynote address is, is is around that issue to try and at, at a higher level, I suppose, bring all those bring all those issues together in terms of what you know what's achievable really, what the headline targets might look like. Try and put some direction or some shape on where where we see the whole thing uh, coming together. And I suppose the other the other thing we want to do as well, and I think it is important at a national dairy conference that we don't forget that there's 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 the practicalities of dairy farming are are going to be you know foremost in people's minds over the next few months. You know we still even though there are targets set out, there are still there still need to be farming, I suppose, and we have to we have to address some of those issues as well. So we have like, we have some you know short presentations around things like um, you know vaccination strategy, certainly cost control for 2022. Looking at input prices, that's a big issue, um, and other issues around energy saving and labour saving as well. So there's quite a bit in the program, but it really is trying to look at um, you know trying to get that synergy between the economic and the environmental together is, is really the sort of overarching uh, theme of the day. The details of the programme, uh, Emma Louise, are up on the Chagas website and that registration registration will be required um, and registration will be open from the 10th uh, of November on the, on the Chagas website. That's great. Looking forward to it, Joe. Thanks, Emma Louise. OK, thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Joe Patton for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.